Ecclesiastes chapter 6, with the close of this chapter, after tonight, we will have, um, we will have reached the halfway point in our study of the words of the preacher, otherwise known as Solomon, uh, or excuse me, otherwise known as uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's also called the words of the preacher. Uh, this is, believe it or not, our 16th message uh, in this series on how to live life. But as I was thinking back over this, uh, even again this afternoon, it seems uh, that this study, to this point anyway, uh, has really been more about how not to live life. But I think that we all understand tonight that in avoiding the wrong, then we will do what's right. You've been here on the last couple of Sunday nights as Pastor Tyler has been preaching. That's really kind of been the approach. You know, here's the, here's the wrong way to do it. Don't, Solomon's setting his son down. He's saying, don't do this. And if he won't do what's wrong, then he will naturally do what's right. And certainly that's the case with us. Uh, by the way, good to see you, Jenny. Good to have her back with us tonight. I just, just saw her smiling face back there. And uh, so if we will um, learn uh, what's wrong and what not to do, then naturally uh, we, will, we will do the right thing. All I think, all that Solomon has said to this point can be reduced really into two statements. The first one is this, wealth does not always bring enjoyment. Now, we have read uh, in so many words that which, which really are echoed in the New Testament, uh, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, there's nothing wrong, as we talked about in our Chasing Carrots. Isn't that a great title for a Bible study? Chasing Carrots. Uh, Sunday morning we talked about chasing the carrot of money and stuff, uh, and I, I pointed out to my class yet again, uh, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to have enough money to take care of things beyond the necessities of life. Um, I'm blessed to be able to do that. Many, the majority of you in here tonight, are blessed enough to be able to do that. You want to go out and eat, you can go out and eat. Uh, you want to take the kids to uh, Walmart after they get out of the hospital? Most of us tonight can do that. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed of that. Uh, it's God's blessings. Um, but, but the point that Solomon is making here is that if that's the only thing that we're trusting in to help us enjoy life, then we're in trouble. And I think that's the first statement. And the second statement is this, work does not always bring satisfaction. And so I think those two statements pretty much sum up the, uh, the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, our primary purpose on this earth 
is, is not to make a good living. Our primary purpose is to make a good life. Because really, you stop and think about it, what good is a good living without a good life? And I almost went through and crossed that out um, today in my office because really, I would, I would change that. If I go back and change it now, I would say our purpose is to build a godly life. You know, we often challenge parents, don't just raise good kids, raise godly kids. And so I think that would hold true for us as adults. Let's not just try to, to have a good life. Uh, our goal should be to have a godly life. In the words of the British essayist and poet, Joseph Addison, he said, the grand essentials to happiness in this life are something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Now, I don't know if Mr. Addison uh, was a believer or not. I, I, I really don't have any idea. I don't know if he had something spiritual uh, in mind when he said that. But as we look at that statement through, uh, through biblical eyes and, and eyes of faith and, and, and eyes of Bible believers, um, we have, as children of God, we have all three of those things. We have something to do, which is to glorify God. We have someone to love who is God himself. And we have something to look, for, look forward to, to hope for, and that's glory. And so as you look at that, the grand essentials to happiness in this life are something to do, glorify God, someone to love, God himself, and something to hope for, which is heaven. I mean, really, if we have all three of those things and we do as believers, listen, life's good. So Solomon, having taught us now that neither wealth nor work are the keys to happiness and satisfaction, he uses the, the, the last few verses of this chapter to teach us a third principle, and it's this, wisdom does not hold the key either. So happiness and satisfaction are not found in wealth, they are not found in work, and according to what we're going to read tonight, neither are they found in wisdom. The truth that Solomon brings us face to face with in these verses is that regardless of how much wisdom we may possess, we will never possess enough to have all the answers to all of life's questions. How many of you right now would say, well, preacher, when it comes to life, I've got more questions right now than I have answers. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. In reality, there will be some questions in life that we just can't answer. I mean, let's be honest. We, we just cannot answer those. But let's understand this tonight. We should not use 
our lack of answers as an excuse for skepticism or unbelief, especially if we are a child of God. Listen, just because we can't answer every question that somebody poses to us about God or the Bible or the happenings in the world, listen, that should not lead us to become skeptics ourselves. That should not lead us uh, to, a, to a place of unbelief. Because here's the truth tonight, church. For the Christian, the right response to a lack of satisfactory answers is faith. I mean, there are just some things that we've got to, in which we have got to exercise faith. And, and in all reality, we exercise faith every day in things and in people who are a lot less reliable than God. How many of you drove through an intersection today? You drove through that intersection by faith, trusting that people on the other side are going to obey the red light. Yes? How many of you went and picked up a prescription this week or had one delivered? Have you ever tried to read the doctor's scribbling? And you take that piece of hen scratching to the pharmacist and you have faith that they're putting the right pill in the right bottle and delivering it to the right address. Yes? Yeah. I mean, how many of you have turned on a light today? How many of you understand everything there is to stand, understand? And, and there are some, I know. But I'll just say this. I don't understand how I flip that switch and that light comes on. I don't understand that. But I'm not a skeptic. I just, I don't have to understand it. And I'm just telling you tonight, we don't have to have the answer to everything that happens in this life to believe that God is God. And, and instead of living by explanations, there are times when we're called upon as people of God to live by faith. And let's not think of that as some wild concept because we live by faith all of the time. And again, I'm going to say it, we place our faith in things and in people who are much less reliable than the God of heaven. If we live our life and serve the Lord based on explanations, then we are going to be of all people most miserable. We are to live and serve by faith in the promises of God, not by the explanations of God. And then let me just throw this out there. Even if we were to receive an explanation for why things happen the way they do in our world and in our lives personally, 
An explanation is not going to solve our problem. Nor would they make us feel any better. I mean, we've all faced tragedy in our lives. And we've all been left with questions of why. And and if God came to you in the middle of the night and said, this is why, it's not going to make, listen, it's not going to make anything any better. It's not going to make the hurt go away. It's not going to diminish the loss. God is God. And really, that's the point that Solomon makes at the end of of chapter 6. Knowledge in the mind does not guarantee healing in the heart. Can I get a witness right there? Healing only comes when we put our faith in the promises of God. So as I look at these closing verses of chapter 6, I think what we glean from Solomon's wisdom in these verses is fourfold. Number one, accept that some things are unchangeable. We just got to accept that. Some things are are unchangeable. Look at the, uh, the, the beginning of verse 10. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. That which is named, or excuse me, that which hath been is named already. Solomon is, is talking here about the unalterable decrees of God. He's speaking especially in respect to man who was named in in the mind of God long before he was ever created. God has decreed that happiness and satisfaction are not found in wealth or in work or in wisdom. And church, listen tonight, to try and fight against that decree is foolish, to say the least. Now, because we were created with a free will, we have the choice to rebel against God's decrees. Would you agree with that? We have, the, we have the choice to rebel against God's decrees if we so choose. But listen to me tonight. We do not have the choice of consequences that come with our rebellion. Well, God, I'm going to rebel against this, and here's what I want you to do. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And we tell young people all the time, well, you can make whatever choice you make, but you can't, you can't choose the consequences. Listen, mom and dad, parents, adults, the same is true with us. We can make our choices, but we don't get to make the consequences. God's invitation to us is to cooperate with him in order to achieve his purposes for our life and to enjoy the most blessed life possible. 
That's God's invitation. Come to me, invite me into your life, make me the Lord of your life, allow me to be the Lord of your life, and I will, I will, I will do what's best for you. That's God's invitation. God's invitation is to a blessed life. I mean, it's all throughout the Word of God. He invites us to a blessed life. But at the end of the day, He leaves that choice up to us. We can either say yes or no. And we can either enjoy the consequences that come with yes, or we can endure the consequences that come with no. We will be best served by accepting these and other unchangeable decrees as the will of God and then conforming our lives to them. So not only should we accept some things that are unchangeable, but secondly, we should avoid what things that are, or what things are unprofitable. Avoid what things are unprofitable. Solomon mentions one of the most unprofitable exercises there is at the close of verse 10, and that is arguing with God. Look what he said. Neither may he, talking about man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Now let me, let me clue you in on something tonight. If you fight with God, you lose. Every time. You probably heard it said before, your arms are too short to box with God. It's not going to happen. You'll never win. And even though, listen, even you've really lost. I want you to mark your place there in Ecclesiastes 6. We're going to do a little work in our Bibles tonight. Let's go to the book of Job, chapter 9. I'm taking for granted a Wednesday night crowd. Uh, most people are going to bring their Bible to church. Um, if you didn't, I'll tell you what I used to say. Used to give our young people a hard time all the time. I said, little Bible, little Christian. Big Bible, big Christian. No Bible? Mm, that doesn't look good for you. I'm not, I'm, I'm kidding with you, but really, we ought to bring our Bible to church. Um, I'm a little old-fashioned. I still like pen and paper. I like to be able to turn the pages, like to write in there. Besides that, I'm not holding my, my iPhone or my iPad and, and getting emails. So you do what you want to do. Um, I'm not going to pitch a fit about it, but I hope that we bring our Bibles to church in some form. Now, Sunday mornings, we put the verses on the screens uh, because a lot of our guests on Sunday morning, they're not, they're not church people. They don't bring their Bible. So Wednesday night is different. All right, I preached my sermon. Job chapter 9, verse 3. If he will contend with him, 
he cannot answer him one of a thousand. In other words, you get in an argument with God, you're not going to be able to answer even one out of a thousand questions. Verse 4, he is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? The answer is no one. No one. Look at Job chapter 33. And verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. Let's go, let's go back to this explanation thing. God doesn't owe us an explanation. Let's get that straight tonight. He doesn't owe us an explanation. And so look, look at that verse again. Verse 33, or verse 13. Where did we go here? There we are. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. There's no sense in arguing with God because God's not obligated to explain himself to you or to me or to anybody else. Look at uh, chapter 40 and verse 2. You know, we're talking about av avoiding things that are unprofitable and what, what Solomon said is, is one of the most unprofitable exercises uh, in, in all of life is to argue with God. It's not going to benefit us at all. Look at verse uh, chapter 40 and verse 2. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And then jump over to the New Testament real quick. Romans chapter 9. Romans Chapter 9. And look at verse 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? This is a great question. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? And Brother Dustin back there in the media booth, he's the art instructor at Sierra County Community College. I preached a message on Jeremiah one time uh, about the potter and the clay. You remember that? I, I know, come on, come on. So yeah, preacher, I remember that. That's a great message. Anyway, what you remember is probably Brother Dustin sitting over here during the entire message making a clay pot. You know, that's not one of those messages really you can repeat because it's pretty obvious. But Brother Dustin, at, at the end of the day, has a vase ever looked at you and said, why'd you make me a vase? No. I don't know what else you make out there, but now I said, hey, I don't want to be this. Why'd you make me this? 
And really that, you say, preach, that's ridiculous. Well, that's the point that Paul is making. Look at it again. Shall the thing formed, that's us, say to him that formed it, that's God, why hast thou made me thus? So again, the point that we're making tonight, the point that Solomon is making at the close of of chapter 6, is that it is unprofitable for you and I to demand answers from God. It's just not profitable. It's just not wise. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that there have been any number of men throughout time who have had the audacity to argue with God. Abraham argued with God. Jonah argued with God. And God was willing to enter into a discussion with them, but in the end, it was his decisions that stood. You parents know what I'm talking about. Now, you're willing to listen to the arguments of your son or daughter, but at the end of the day, You're making the final decision. Why? Because you're the boss. At least at this point in their life you are. And and that's, that's the way it is with God. Now, please do not go away from, from our time together tonight thinking that, that somehow God's will is a difficult and, and painful thing to do and something that should be avoided at all costs, because that, that's not true. The truth is, God's will may not always be the thing that we want to do, but it is always the thing we should do. Because here's one good reason, there are many reasons, here's one good reason, um, it's only in God's will that you and I can claim the truth of Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. How many of you understand tonight, that is not for every believer. It's not. Just like Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That is not a promise for every believer. If you take that promise in context, it's a promise for believers who are giving. If you're not giving and you're not being a good steward, Philippians 4.19 is not true for you. And so if you're not giving and you're robbing God and then you're complaining, well, God's not meeting my needs and he said he would, no, back up, bucko. God said that to people who are giving and who are practicing good stewardship. And so a Christian that is walking outside of God's will and knowingly not living in God's will and are rebelling against God's will cannot sit down and pout and say, well, God said that everything would work to the good in my life. He said that to the people that love him. That would include people who are walking in his will. Well, I don't like what God wants me to do. Then live with the consequences. Fair enough. I didn't write the book, I just preach it. And that verse 
is not a blanket promise to every believer. I'm sorry, it's just not. And let's not forget God's word found in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know, God said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Say, if the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Listen, God has a course for your life already set out. And if you will follow that course to its end, it's going to be the most blessed life that you could possibly have. But if you try to deviate from that because you think you know what's best, there are going to be issues. There just are. As Pastor uh, uh, David Jeremiah wrote, he said, The right approach is to discover the plan of God and to live it out. And then look at this scathing remark. He said, It is arrogance of a cosmic intensity to try and change the plan. You get what he's saying? That it is the height of arrogance for us to somehow say, or at least think in our heart, well, I know what's better. I mean, how arrogant is that? You're, talking, you're saying, well, I, I know what's better for my life than you do, God. That's like the piece of clay saying to, saying to us today, I, I would make a better plate than a vase. Well, I'm sorry, you're in my hands. I'm the creator. You'll be what I make you to be. Are we, are we together tonight? So we're going to accept some things that are unchangeable and we're going to avoid what things are, are unprofitable and in the context of Ecclesiastes 6, it's arguing with God. It's arguing that God knows best for us, but he does. Then here's the third thing, verses 11, verse 11, the first part of verse 12. Abandon what things are undependable look at uh, look at verse 11 seeing there be many things that increase vanity what is man the better for who knoweth what is good for man in this life all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow so in effect what solomon is asking here is this with so many meaningless and frivolous things available for man to pursue at the end of the day who knows what is best for him Say, well, preacher, what is, what is undependable here? Our wisdom. That's the point Solomon's making. Enjoy a, 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 a satisfactory life is not found in wealth. It's not found in work. And now we're seeing that it's not found in wisdom. And, and what we cannot depend upon tonight, church, is our own wisdom. 
by the way they live their lives, most Christians, or, or let me say this, many Christians give testimony that they know what's best. And one way they do that is by only bringing God in on those things that are, in their minds anyway, really big things. But you understand tonight that we ought to be seeking God's will in all things. That we ought to be approaching God every day in our life. And, and it doesn't matter if it's a really big thing or a rather insignificant thing. All things matter to God. And even at that, they only bring it to him when they've exhausted all other sources and explored all other options themselves. And then, it, then it, the, the, the story goes something like this. Well, you know, I could always pray. You think? How about if we pray first? Seek God's will first, as opposed to waiting and then saying, God, can you get me out of this mess? I'm guessing we've all done that at some point in our life. God, can you rescue me? God, can you help me? You who are parents, and many of you tonight are, you know what it's like to watch an, an older child, maybe a, uh, a child that's, that's in their late high school years or maybe even early college years. Um, you know what it's like to, to watch them struggle to make life a success. And we, the parents, being the veteran life livers that we are the truth is tonight we already know many of the answers that's not being arrogant that's just real life we already know many of the answers and we can't help sometimes but try and pass that knowledge on to our children when you see them struggling and, and, and they're frustrated and, and they're, just, they're just at their wit's end and, and then we come along and we try to impart some wisdom into their life or we see them going the direction they shouldn't go and we, we try to lovingly impart some wisdom into their life and... and uh, only to receive, only to receive that eye roll that say, yeah, whatever. Yeah? Parents, have you ever wished that your children would just trust you more? Brother Tyler made this point a couple of Sunday nights ago when he was talking to young people. He made this point that, that's been made from this pulpit many, many times. He said, it's not that we're talking down to you. He said, I'm not talking down to you. The point he was making is this. I've been where you are. And that's the way it is with our children. We've been where they are. 
but they have not been where we are. I mean, they've, they've walked in life this far, and some of us, we've, we've walked down the path of life this far, and so we know what is between there and here. Yes? And so we just want to help them avoid some of the pitfalls that await them. Brother Tyler's been, been preaching uh, the last two Sunday nights on sexual sins, and, and we want to help them as parents and grandparents avoid those pitfalls. And we want to help them avoid pitfalls having to do with money and, and so many other things. And, and so here we are, and, and, and we're, we're speaking from experience that we have gained over here, and they're over here, and, and they're like, yeah, whatever, okay, yeah, you're, you're an old geezer. Yes, absolutely. And if we could just get them to understand, it's not, it's not that we're trying to run their lives. We understand God's created them with a will of their own. And we're not trying to, to dictate their every step in life. Here's where we're coming from. We love you. And it hurts our heart when we see you stumble and fall. And I'm guessing just about every parent in here has watched their son or daughter at some point stumble and fall. And it hurts your heart as a parent. And, and you're just wishing that they would learn to trust you more. And the truth is, I think sometimes it hurts you, it hurts me as a parent more than it hurts them. You say, well, Freak, that's all well and good, but what, what's the point? The point is this. It's no different with God as our Heavenly Father and us as His children. You've got a teenager over here, and he thinks he's got, the, he's got the world all figured out. He doesn't need mom. He doesn't need dad. He doesn't need his grandparents. He doesn't need his youth pastor. He doesn't need his pastor. He doesn't need anybody telling him what to do. I got it figured out. And so he just takes off. And his parents were just shaking their head. Said, all right. Knock yourself out. But how many times has that been the scenario with God? God's over here with his word. And he's telling us, this is the path. Walk in it and you'll be blessed. And we're over here like some 17-year-old, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Pastor Tyler, whatever. Yeah, Brother Prater, whatever. We've heard that our whole life, blah, 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 blah. And listen, it grieves God's heart when we depend more on our wisdom than we do on his word. 
Listen, the things that Pastor Tyler has preached the last two Sunday nights, he didn't preach just, just so he'd get some jaw exercise, okay? He preached it because it's the truth of the Word of God. And shame on us if we listen to any message, whether it's last Sunday night or this past Sunday morning or, or, or tonight. Shame on us if we just kind of shake our spiritual head and roll our spiritual eyes and say, yeah, okay, whatever. No, not whatever. This is the Word of God. And it's being preached to help, not, not to hurt. And so I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good correlation. Uh, a parent and a teenager and you and I as, as, as God's children, him and as our, as our father, let's just not roll our spiritual eyes and say whatever. Let's say, God, if, God, if, if you say that's the way it ought to be, then I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Rather than trying to, to depend on our own wisdom, which will create more issues in our life than, than, we, than we care to think about. And again, it's not that God doesn't love us. And I know that you think, well, preach, you ought to be preaching that to teenagers. No, I need to preach that to mom and dad. Because even as adults, we think something well, well, God just trying to ruin my life. No, he's not. God loves us. And he wants what's best for us. And it hurts him when we stumble and fall. An enjoyable life of satisfaction is not difficult to attain. It's just a matter of obedience. And then here's the last thing real quick. We need to acknowledge that some things are unknowable. The question is, at the end of this chapter, for who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? And the answer is, it's not a trick question. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? God. God is the only one. We don't know what the future holds, but listen, we do know who holds the future. And that ought to bring comfort to our hearts. And that ought to be enough. And we know something else. We know that life as we know it will one day end. And we had better make the best of the opportunities that we have now. I know this is Wednesday night. Most, if not all of you in here that I can see make a profession of faith in Christ. But I'm going to say it anyway. Opportunities, the opportunity to be saved. We better take advantage of that opportunity now. The opportunity to serve. Listen, we ought to be taking advantages of every opportunity that God gives us to serve right now because we do not have a guarantee of tomorrow. The only person who knows what lies ahead of us when we leave here tonight is God. 
That's the point that Solomon makes at the end of, of chapter 6. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? God can and nobody else. So let's take advantage of what opportunities God gives us now. The opportunity to be saved, the opportunity to serve, and certainly the opportunity to be a soul winner. Because there is coming a day when there will not be any more opportunities to do any of those things. Amen?